this week on Christian World News, the Russian pastor who's a wanted man because he publicly opposed the war in Ukraine. Hear how he escaped just as Russian security officials raided his home. Plus, the praying coach returns to the football field. After an eight-year court battle, he once again knelt at midfield to give thanks to God. Now, he's moving on. And on the Hawaiian island of Maui, residents mourning the loss of loved ones face another burden, the high cost of funerals. See how one woman is coming alongside to help shoulder the burden. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Christian World News. I'm George Thomas. And I'm Wendy Griffith. Russia is using vicious tactics to silence protesters against the war in Ukraine. More than 20,000 anti-war activists have been rounded up, including many Christians. That's right. One of Russia's most respected evangelical leaders was forced to flee the country. Recently, I spoke with him about Moscow's growing crackdown. Yuri Sipko is a man on the run. I'm a wanted person. Security service agents are looking for me everywhere in the country. The moment I step foot back in Russia, I will be arrested. On August 8th, Russian FSB agents, the equivalent of America's FBI, raided Sipko's home in Moscow on charges accusing him of discrediting Russia's military and their operations in Ukraine. Video of the operation shown on Russian state TV as three agents wearing bulletproof vests, helmets and carrying heavy assault weapons enter Sipko's home, then proceed to film letters, books, diaries, business contacts and other material allegedly found in the building. On the same day, three hours south of Moscow, Russian special forces broke into an evangelical church, briefly detaining its pastor for questioning. According to the Russian government, I've been charged with this crime because I said that to fight against Ukrainians is a crime. To kill Ukrainians is a crime. To destroy Ukrainian cities is a crime. Thanks to a tip, Sepko avoided the raid and quickly slipped out of the country. He spoke exclusively to CBN News about his ordeal upon arrival at an undisclosed location. I knew I would get into trouble because the government was passing all these laws to prosecute people who were telling the truth. Still, I could not remain silent. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I cannot remain silent about this. Sipko, a prominent Russian Baptist pastor, has led some of the country's most well-known evangelical alliances. He's been critical of Russia's invasion of Ukraine from day one and publicly urged President Vladimir Putin to end the war. Last year, Russia introduced new laws to crack down on anti-war dissent. Amnesty International says more than 21,000 people have been targeted, often subjected to detention, labeled as foreign agents or jail. The government's goal is to silence people and that only their lies will be spread. Even publicly praying or calling for peace also poses risks of prosecution. If you are not loyal, then there is no place for you in church. Just ask Reverend Iona Koval. Last September, when Russia's president ordered a partial mobilization of reservists, the head of Russia's Orthodox Church ordered his clergymen to pray for victory 
Reverend Koval instead replaced the word victory with peace in his prayer. It went against my conscience. I couldn't submit to this political pressure from the hierarchy. That act got him defrocked from the Russian Orthodox Church. He now leads services at an old Orthodox Church in Antalya, Turkey. At least 30 other Orthodox priests have faced similar pressure. I never questioned the choice I made. I, my whole soul, my whole being, opposed this war. It was impossible for me to support the invasion of Russian troops into Ukraine with my prayer. The United States Commission on International Religious Freedom says religious liberty in Russia has reached a new low since the war started. The message is very clear that any religious leader or anyone, frankly, who is protesting Russia's invasion of Ukraine based partially on religious beliefs, there's just an incredible crackdown. The United Nations says their investigation found the religious crackdown also extends to Russian-controlled territories of Ukraine. Documenting actions perpetrated by the Russian armed forces against religious communities, including enforced disappearance, arbitrary detention, torture or other ill-treatment, and unlawful deportations against clergy and members of Ukrainian, Greek, Catholic, and Christian evangelical communities. And it doesn't stop there. Russian missiles regularly target religious institutions and churches, including this recent attack on the historic Transfiguration Cathedral in Odessa. The cathedral in Odessa is not the only religious site damaged throughout the war. According to a preliminary assessment undertaken by UNESCO, 116 religious sites have been damaged since 24th of February, 2022. Ivana Strutner, who covers Russian affairs for the Foundation of Defense of Democracies, worries this crackdown on religious freedom will only get worse. The more Putin loses in Ukraine, the more he will become desperate at home and the more he will even uh, strict further uh, those uh, regulations and go after even more people. Back at his undisclosed location, 71-year-old Pastor Sipko tells CBN News he doesn't fear his future and welcomes the opportunity to confront his accusers. I have nothing to be afraid of. My life is almost over. Praise the Lord, I have just a little bit left. If I would have to go before a judge, be arrested, I would have a chance to say the truth to these people who have power. I want to see them and tell them that God loves them and He can forgive them and would want them to repent of their sins and receive forgiveness. We need to continue to pray for the evangelical church in uh, Russia, as well as those who are against the war uh, in Ukraine. They are paying a very, very heavy price. Even to say the word peace uh, gets you into trouble. You going back to Ukraine? I will, for sure. Well, up next, taking a knee after an eight-year court battle, this praying coach once again knelt at midfield. With his victory won, we'll tell you why he's now moving on. Welcome back. Every school in every city covered in prayer. That's the goal of a ministry that's calling on families to adopt a school in their area and commit to pray for them. The ministry called Lock the Shields is asking God for three things, for school campuses to be marked by prayer, praise and revival, for salvation, healing and deliverance in schools, and for God to protect schools from the enemy and his evil schemes. Founder Kelly Caraveo, a former school teacher, explains the meaning behind the name Lock the Shields. 
In ancient warfare, warriors would come together and lock their shields for protection. And what we're doing when we come together as a family unit, um, as churches, as a community, is we're in a sense locking shields of prayer over a given school. And so we want every school covered in protection. Yeah. I remember that from Braveheart. Well, to learn how you can sign up to adopt a school and download a prayer guide, just go to cbnnews.com. That's awesome. Joe Kennedy, known as the praying coach, has resigned his position as assistant football coach at Bremerton High School in Washington State. The resignation came just days after the coach returned to the football field following an eight-year court battle over his practice of praying on the 50-yard line after games. Yeah, the coach says the, the lawsuit and the school district took a lot of the joy out of coaching, and now he feels like an outsider. Still, his return was a victory for religious freedom in America. CBN's David Brody was there for the momentous occasion. It looked like your normal Friday night high school football game in America, with one major exception. After enduring an eight-year fight for his right to publicly pray after games, a Supreme Court decision put Joe Kennedy back on the sidelines. And that ruling meant he could exercise his First Amendment right to pray. And here's the moment just minutes after the game ended. Afterwards, the coach told a throng of waiting reporters what he prayed. I said thank you probably 30 times. I had no other words. I, what, what do you say to the one who got me here to begin with? What we asked for from the Supreme Court and all the courts was just to be able to be a coach and to be able to pray after a football game. What an awesome way to come back after eight-year battle. The city of Bremerton, Washington is Coach Joe Kennedy's boyhood home. He loves this place. It's both picturesque and blue collar, and it's that hard scrabble approach that is needed to fight this eight year ordeal. It has not been easy. Victory came with pain and suffering, even threatening his marriage. We're about to get a divorce over all of this because I'm putting my wife through hell and she's crying every day. That's because his wife, Denise, was the head of HR for the school district that her husband was fighting against. A tough spot for sure. I was so angry at him. I spent a lot of time being angry because I didn't understand his intention. I questioned his intention. I lost friends over this. And those people I worked with for 15 years and I loved them. You felt overwhelmed, you were drowning. Absolutely, that's a really good way to put that like, how do I balance this? How do I do my job, be a wife and a mother? So one year into the legal battle, their marriage hit rock bottom. Then God opened Denise's eyes. I realized that God is in this. It's not my husband. It's not my husband's desire for center of attention for this situation. It is God. God called him to such a time as this. And that led to a greater breakthrough. And to walk on that same narrow path together, um, it's, you know, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And 
that is what's got us through this. And so what's next for Coach Kennedy? After eight years away, the coaching environment is not the same. As much as they have accepted me, still I, I feel like I'm kind of the outsider and still on, you know, kind of like on enemy grounds. And I don't like that feeling. Yeah. I, 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 it doesn't have the same feeling that it did. It, the school district took, and this lawsuit took a lot of the joy out of coaching. It took away just about everything that meant something to me. It was noticeable. During the game, there would be long stretches when Coach Joe was all by himself, something we discussed after the game. That clearly seemed purposeful, or if not purposeful, there was meaning behind some of that. I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. I don't know if I should answer that. Whatever happens, he's confident of one thing for sure. I finished the race, and I hope God is, is kind of looking and smiling, and he's proud that he's, I did what he's called me to do. David Brody, CBN News, in Bremerton, Washington. Thank you, David. By the way, Coach Kennedy also cited the need to take care of an ailing family member who lives out uh, of state in his decision to resign. He says he'll continue to work for protecting religious freedom in America. Well, coming up, torn by grief, the people on the Hawaiian island of Maui mourning the loss of loved ones. Meet the California woman who's making their burden a little bit lighter. Welcome back. It's been one month since wildfires devastated a popular tourist destination on the Hawaiian island of Maui. The drop in tourism dollars is putting an extra burden on the community. It's especially difficult for those struggling to pay the high cost of funeral services. Now, one woman from California is helping them honor their loved ones in their time of need. He was like just Mr. Aloha, like he had a heart of gold and like anybody that would meet him on the street anywhere would just make friends with him. Like everybody loved him. 28-year-old Po'o Astoris Lozano died in the August fires that swept through Lahaina. He leaves behind two sons, his mother Leona and sister Jaina, who are still trying to come to terms with their loss. The fire, I guess it broke out really bad. So we tried calling him and calling him and he never picked up. Um, it went straight to voicemail and we couldn't reach anybody. We don't know if he was alone and how he went is just what breaks my heart. Yeah. He was super loving, kind, humble. He always saw the good, never the bad. For two weeks they waited before learning that a DNA sample from Leona matched Poe's remains. The feeling that we felt like, I can't even explain, but it was like heartbreaking. Due to surgery in July, Leona isn't working, and the average funeral service here runs about $8,000, an insurmountable amount for most families in the islands. It costs money to live in paradise and to exit paradise, so you gotta pay. Then, Leona met Vanessa Rozo, a Californian who came to Maui to help families pay for funerals with money collected from her local church and a GoFundMe page. And God just opened doors. I know how to fundraise and I know how to connect people. I would like to connect this lady with the funds necessary to provide this relief for her for providing funeral expenses. So I set that up. I just felt that was God's calling for me to come here. Before Vanessa arrived, 
Leona had collected half of what she needed to give her son a proper celebration of life that's important in Hawaiian culture and bring her family closure. When somebody passes, we celebrate them to remember them. I refuse to let my son get cremated and just forgotten. We want to celebrate the life that he had and any memories with the family and friends. So it's going to cost. From the money Vanessa raised, she provided the remaining $4,000 for a special service complete with a minister and flowers so Poe could be remembered by his many friends and family. Poe's sister says her brother knew the Lord and likes to think he died trying to help others escape. I know in my heart that he, if he heard somebody yelling or screaming, he would have went and helped them. But he loved God. He truly did. God chooses his strongest warriors. And my son was one of those biggest heart of gold person you would ever meet. And just as the rainbows here in Hawaii declare God's faithfulness, Jesus will be close to the brokenhearted, heal their wounds, and in time, bring beauty from the ashes. Wow, it was great to meet them and to put a face on this horrible tragedy, to learn more about Vanessa's efforts to help these families in need and help pay for their services. You can go to our website at cbnnews.com. Stay with us. We'll show you the revival that's sweeping Generation Z right after this. Welcome back to the broadcast. What started as a street outreach in Sacramento, California, has turned into an evangelistic movement spreading to several cities. United Church, a ministry started to disciple people who came to Christ through street evangelism, birthed United Revival and the Jesus March. In five years, the ministry has hosted 125 prayer and worship events, commissioned 6,500 evangelists, and introduced thousands of people to Jesus. So far, multiple evangelistic Jesus marches have been held in Seattle, Sacramento, Santa Monica, and Dallas. Other cities have also hosted an event. And check this out, George. Mm. Uh, a summer camp in South Carolina is reporting thousands of young people making first-time professions of faith in Jesus Christ. CBN's Brody Carter shows us why they're calling Gen Z the revival generation. The year was 1996. Nintendo 64 was released. Tiger Woods made his debut with the PGA. Jesus Freak spent 10 weeks at number one. And Crossroads Summer Camp started. Clayton King and his wife Shari reached this next generation at Crossroads Summer Camp by sharing the gospel and teaching them truth, meaning, and purpose. 85% of all Christian converts in America will make a decision to receive Christ as Savior before they turn 19 years old. That's why their focus is Generation Z, people born between 1999 and 2015. Now, there are some things that we know about Gen Z. They're digital natives. They grew up with iPads and iPhones. They grew up connected to technology. And research shows that could be why Gen Z is seen as losing their religion. The American Survey Center calls a third of this age group religious nuns, meaning no religious affiliation. It is essential that we preach and teach the Bible and share the good news of the love of God to them when they're young before the world has had a chance to beat them up, chew them up, and spit them out. By connecting faith and fun, the Kings empower students who come from all over to experience the love of God and hear the gospel. 
It means you can take a load off. It means you don't have to work for your salvation. And this year, campers are responding with more than 3,000 accepting Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And I finally felt something completely different and I felt fulfilled with Christ and the Holy Spirit. I think they've seen the materialism of our world, the ideologies that are being shoved down their throats incessantly, they're all empty. And when they feel the presence of God, when they taste and see that the Lord is good, nothing else will satisfy them. And that's what revival feels like, I think, is just this uncompromised, this desire to say, well, this is what I see in the world, and I see something better um, being offered to me in Jesus Christ. I want everyone that I come in contact with to be able to see the goodness and the power and the might of God. Jacob King, the founder's oldest son and a 20-year-old member of Gen Z, is carrying on the legacy of his parents to share the goodness of God with a generation he understands is desperate for identity and hungry for truth. He calls you and says, do you want my love? Because I'll give it to you freely. If you want my love, it's right here for you. Today, the King family serves all age groups through Clayton King Ministries, offering marriage conferences, coaching networks, and mission trips. Pastor Clayton also preaches at New Spring Church with several locations in South Carolina. So I just believe that there's something happening in our church right now, and one of the signs of the move of God is when people put their faith in Jesus. After 36 years of sharing the gospel, his message remains the same, and he believes this generation is experiencing genuine revival. If you want to repent of your sin and ask Jesus to save you, stand up right now. And by standing up, you're identifying yourself with Jesus because there's no shame in the gospel. And these students are not even hesitating. It is nothing short of miraculous. Brody Carter, CBN News. Important message during these times. That is so exciting to see yeah. with young people. They need something to believe exactly. in. And he's right. You need to reach them when they're young because, yeah. uh, you know, life can be tough. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. so God bless them. Folks, that is it for this week's edition of Christian World News. Until next time, from all of us here, goodbye. And as always, God bless you. <laughs>